are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David said when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. All right. Thank you, Becca, for reading for us. I'm incredibly grateful for Becca's ministry among our students. She's actually my daughter's small group leader, and so I get just a uh, courtside seat every week to see them come home and talk about the impact that she is making on their life. So thanks, Becca, for reading scripture for us and for serving others with a full heart. What's a fun table question today, huh? What do you like to do on a day off from school or work? I'm going to show you three examples, three among many But these were three that came to my mind and maybe came up around your tables in your discussion. Here's the first. In light of next weekend, we're used to it being on Mother's Day weekend, aren't we? It's a little different schedule this year, but fishing opener. Maybe fishing is something you like to do on a day off. Or how about this one? You catch up on yard work on a day off. And this time of year, there's plenty of that going on. My neighbors are wondering when I'm going to catch up to all their nicely manicured lawns. But then how about this one? One more to show you, my third example. How many of you like to take a nap on a day off? Yes, absolutely. Maybe today with the Twins game on in the background, with the way they've been playing, you know, you could probably nap through. But today we're going to talk about Sabbath, and if that word is unfamiliar or it's just kind of fuzzy, let's call it the rhythm of rest and worship. There is a sacred rhythm to life that God has given us, a rhythm that rises above the stress and exhaustion and frenetic pace that many of us are used to, a rhythm that anchors us deeply to God and then deeply to one another. It's an absolute joy to discover it and to practice it. That's what today is about. We're spending the summer in the Gospel of Mark in a series called Jesus the King, We started this a month ago. It was just after Easter. Today we have a pair of stories that bridge chapters 2 and 3 that have to do with the Sabbath. Now let's remember where we are in this story geographically. 
We're still where we were last week, and here is a picture of Capernaum, this city on the Sea of Galilee. This is Jesus' hub for ministry where he and his disciples are spending lots of time in this part of the book. It's outside of town that we read then this first story. Mark 2.23 is where we pick it up. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, so they're outside of town, and his disciples were walking along and they began to pick some heads of grain. I was thinking back to summer road trips that we used to do every year in my family growing up, and if my sister and I did a good job in the car, there was some incentive because then somewhere at one of the gas stations, we would get to pick out a treat. And I remember just the rows and rows of candy bars and making the perfect choice. Usually for me, it was Reese's Pieces. And so maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but what it reminds me of here today is that Jesus and his disciples are kind of on a bit of a road trip and they're getting hungry. Who knows how many miles they'd covered that day on foot, how long it had been since their last full meal. But these guys are out hiking and they're ready for a snack. And so that's what we see them do. Now, what they did, plucking heads of grain from some guy's field, is not the problem. There was provision for that. Deuteronomy 23 says, If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands. You can have a snack. What it said, though, is you must not put a sickle to the standing grain. So you can snack as you're traveling about, but it does not mean you can back up your truck and take out the combine and harvest his field. The problem was not that they plucked grain that didn't belong to them. The problem is that they did it on the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath and observing the Sabbath was one of the distinguishing marks of God's people in the Old Testament. The two most visible badges that they had were circumcision and Sabbath. It set them apart from all the other nations living around them. And these things really became a matter of national pride, keeping the Sabbath and the sign of circumcision. So they took their Sabbath keeping seriously, and none more so than the guys that were introduced next to in the story. Verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, the name Pharisees means literally separated ones. They were religious leaders who strictly followed both the written and oral laws of Israel. And I know some of you and some of our Y groups have been watching The Chosen and doing a small group study through that. So here we're reminded of two of the Pharisees in the story. Shmuel, that character on the left, and then Nicodemus on the right. Pharisees were educated They had positions of power. They were experts in the religious law, which is why they call foul here and say that it's unlawful. But what was exactly unlawful? Well, we should go back here and remind ourselves of what the Sabbath was actually about. The Sabbath, as we heard Santi read it in the story, goes back to creation when God had made all that there is and then rested on the seventh day. And to rest there means he ceased from the work. God didn't rest because, you know, six days of creation he was tired and he needed to refuel. No, that's not God. It means he simply ceased and stopped from his creative work. He rested on the seventh day. 
God then gives that principle, what he models to his people, later on in the story in the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20 is one place where we read it, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And from there on out, the Jewish people would celebrate the Sabbath on the seventh day. And for them, it was starting Friday at sundown, and it would last 24 hours until Saturday at sundown. And we'll talk more about what that means later, but for now, let's just note that the Old Testament gives a few bits of instruction as we read through about the Sabbath. But by the time then we get to the Pharisees in the New Testament, they have come up with all kinds of extra rules about how we should properly keep the Sabbath. They absolutely run away with it, and here's how they did it. They read the commandment, and they start asking themselves, well, what does it mean when it says work? What is work? And they want to define that and have a distinct set of rules. And so they come up with a list of 39 different activities that you could not do on the Sabbath, including reaping, harvesting, which is what they then accuse the disciples of doing. And you know, it occurred to me, and even in watching The Chosen and thinking about these couple of guys on the screen, you know, we don't typically read Bible stories and connect with the Pharisees as far as the characters go. We, we don't often identify with them. And yet their great mistake is actually not so far away from us. And that is, it becomes easy for us to think about faith in the same terms that they did. In the terms of being good, doing the right things, and following the rules. And then our theology ends up going something like this. I obey, I obey God, and therefore He accepts me. That can become default theology very easy. But really, that's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of the gospel. And the Bible flips those two phrases, doesn't it? And really, the truth of it is, I am accepted by Jesus Christ, therefore, I obey. That's what I get to do as a worship response. That's justification by faith, like we read about earlier this year in Romans. The Pharisees were in a different place, and they're operating out of religion instead of out of God's grace. And so here are these Pharisees. They've got nothing better to do than to be spying on Jesus and the disciples out in the grain fields. And I imagine that's what they were doing because they jump up and they say, Aha! We caught you! You're breaking the rules. We knew we'd catch you doing this. And Jesus says to them, it's a very rabbinic kind of response. He says, Oh guys, haven't you read the story about David and his companions when they were hungry? And he takes them back into the Bible which is a very good thing to do. Verse 26, In the days of Abiathar the high priest, Jesus says, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus answers them by taking them back into the book they believed they were experts in. And he says, let's read this carefully. He takes them to the story about David in 1 Samuel 21. And it's a story, Jesus' point is this, where David overrides one law 
in order to fulfill a greater law. Kind of like if you're speeding, you're way over the limit, but it's because you're taking someone to the hospital, to the emergency room, by way of analogy. David did break the law, and he ate food only for the priests, but he did it because his men were hungry and needed food. And Jesus reminds them of this story to set up the principle, he says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, all of what we're talking about and studying in Scripture today is a gift from God. The Sabbath, Isaiah says, is a delight. And keeping the Sabbath is given to us for our good. But the Pharisees had turned it and flipped it, and they had turned it into a 39-pound weight that was saddled to the shoulders of the people. They had lost the joy of Sabbath and made it a burden. And Jesus reminds them of what the Sabbath was made for. I should say who. Who the Sabbath was made for. And then he makes this declarative statement. Verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of Man. We're going to have to familiarize ourselves with that in the Gospel of Mark. It's Jesus' most common self-designation. A term from Daniel 7. And so with one fell swoop, he brushes aside all of their religious rigmarole and he declares that he alone is the authority over the Sabbath. And then as if to underline the point, he goes immediately into the next story in chapter 3 and we'll review this story quickly as we go. Verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now if you're going with us to the Holy Land... And there are still spots available. A year from now, in in the spring of 2022, we're going to visit this very synagogue that we're reading about in Mark. It was a big, impressive structure that was made from white limestone blocks from the hills of Galilee. And it would have gleamed in the sunlight there in the city. And it was there that Jesus went to the weekly worship service. And he saw this man with a shriveled hand. Now, we don't know what happened to this man that caused this condition other than that his hand was paralyzed. It could have been due to polio. Maybe he had suffered a stroke. We don't know what it was, but Jesus had already been healing people in chapters 1 and 2, so the Pharisees are watching now. Verse 2, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So there it is again. The problem is not healing. It's that it's on the Sabbath. That is the crux of the issue. And the Pharisees had put acts of healing on their list of 39 things that you could not do on the Sabbath except in life-threatening emergencies or childbirth. Nice of them to think of that, right moms? We'll allow for that, I guess. But a paralyzed hand was not on the list of life-threatening things. And so, you know, really, this guy had lived with it long enough. He could just wait till tomorrow. Except Jesus has something else on his mind. Verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Now again, Mark, he just gives us the details rapid fire. We have so many questions 
what did this look like? How did this happen? We can speculate a little bit because we know about the worship service that would have happened in the synagogue. And it's fun to think about this, that in the Jewish worship service, there was a time when everyone would stand in the congregation and they would raise their hands to shoulder height with their hands, their palms outstretched, facing outward. And so for this man, his shriveled hand in that moment would have been embarrassingly visible to everyone. Furthermore, people in their culture often assumed that if you had some physical illness or disability, it was a sign that God was punishing you for something that you had done. And so this man's hand would have been the source of great shame in his life. And I just wonder how many years of worship services had this man had to lift his paralyzed hand during prayer for everybody to see. And now Jesus has a gift for him on the Sabbath and says to him, stand up in front of everyone. So the man stands, the room falls silent, and everyone waits for what's going to happen next. But Jesus starts with a question for those who are looking to accuse him. In verse 4, Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Some of the saddest words you can read in the Bible. Jesus couldn't have made it any easier for him. But with the disabled man right there standing in front of them, they remained silent. And this is what causes Jesus such a strong reaction in verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart. Some translations say at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Notice that Jesus never lifts a finger in healing the man. There is no act of healing. He heals him simply by the power of his word. But the Pharisees are so enraged at this affront to their rule-keeping that verse 6 finds them joining ranks with the political rulers who otherwise they had nothing to do with. And so the last verse, verse 6, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. That's a funny combination. How they might kill Jesus. We're barely into chapter 3, and the trajectory to the cross is set where Jesus will die for you and for me. With the remainder of our time this morning as we study this passage, I'd like for us to think about the Sabbath And what this looks like today in our own lives. You know, the Jewish people celebrated it from Friday to Saturday. But after Jesus, the believers started, so both Jewish and non-Jewish, they started to meet on Sunday, on Sunday mornings, to remember that the tomb was empty, to remember the resurrection. And they called it the Lord's Day. And so today, as Christians, we commonly refer to Sunday as the Sabbath. And yet the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 encourages us not to get caught up in what day of the week 
it would be. The important principle is that every six days, we have a Sabbath in there where we stop and rest. And I don't need to tell you how contrary this runs to the 24-7 world that you and I live in today. I'm just going to say the older half of us, the older half of Americans, remember when stores used to be closed on Sundays. You remember when youth sports would have never dreamed of playing on Sundays. Let's just frame this well. We're not here to throw stones at our culture or to just sit here in church and take our toys and go home, complain about the world. That's not what we're here to do. But we have to wrestle with how the Sabbath has been chipped away and compromised to the point that it is largely unrecognizable and unpracticed in our day. And we have to ask ourselves the question, have we been complicit in this as Christ followers? And I'll let you answer the question for yourself. I'll just answer for myself. I recognize I have. I've gone along with this. And whereas the Pharisees were legalistic about Sabbath keeping, perhaps the challenge in our time is the opposite. We downplay it. And our idol, our false god, is busyness, full schedules, no margin. We work hard, but not only that, we play hard, and then we go and do it all over again. And Scripture tells us so clearly that we do this at the peril of our spiritual health, at the risk of our relationship with God. And so I want to ask us this Sunday morning, what could Sabbath look like in my life? What could it look like? One day out of seven that is different than all the rest One day where I receive this rhythm that God gives, not as a burden, not to squelch the fun, but as a gift. And I want to put up four words that I think summarize what we get to do on the Sabbath. And they are rest, worship, fellowship, and serving others. I'll say something just briefly, very briefly about each one. We said earlier, God didn't need to rest because he was tired, but we do. And a Sabbath day is for you to rest from your work, both paid and unpaid. Some of us know what it's like to go hard at work all week long, and then on the weekend, what are we doing? We're trying to catch up on all the work around the house. Or we're chasing around our kids and their schedules. And really, this is the same kind of dynamic for our students to be thinking about. Except instead of work, it's the pace and schedule of school. And so how are we teaching our young people about practicing Sabbath? That there is a time in our week to rest, a time to refuel physically and spiritually. The second word on the list is worship. In our story, they worshiped in the synagogue on the Sabbath. For us, it's this sacred space. It's Sunday in the gymnasium at the Y. 
But the central purpose of the Sabbath is that we would have a day that is dedicated to the Lord. Not that the other six aren't also His. But there is something special about the Sabbath that makes it holy and worshipful. One of the realities of the pandemic has been our worship life over this last year plus has had to roll with the punches and has had to adapt. So we went online, and we went online only. And then even in coming back, you know, there have been things here that have just been different than the way we usually do things. But I want to encourage us to keep coming back. And I say that, you know my heart in this, that this is not about church attendance. That this is not about numbers or any of that legalistic stuff that we could get caught up in. But my heart and our heart as a church community is for spiritual health. And they say that before the pandemic, something that we talked about here was that in a a nationwide survey, they said that the average committed Christ follower in our country was going to weekly worship 1.6 Sundays Per month. And the challenge after the pandemic, you know, because crisis accelerates change, is that if we're not careful, our leadership has talked about this just in the last week, we could become a church where we're a whole lot of people who are in worship less than one Sunday a month. And we share that out of concern just because we know that's not a recipe for spiritual health and flourishing. That's not a way to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So at the Y Church, we talk about three things that we hope every one of us would commit to. We keep it really simple. We just remember three things. Worship, Y groups, and serving. We invite everybody into those three practices as our bread and butter for discipleship. And come to think of it, you look at this list of four out of Sabbath principles, and it starts to look very familiar, doesn't it? Rest, worship, fellowship, and serving. So fellowship, I debated. We put fellowship up there, or we could have put relationships. It's just the New Testament word, koinonia, for relationships. And so on the Sabbath, you have this extra opportunity to stop the daily grind and to pour into relationships. You get to do that in your family, in your Y groups. I know several of our Y groups meet on Sundays. Today you get to do it with mom and your relatives as you get together. Practice Sabbath and take time for people. And then finally, the Sabbath is for serving. That's what broke the heart of Jesus in the synagogue that day. They would rather have kept their religious rules than to help another person in need. And so Jesus corrects their way. And he is here to correct our way too. I am the first among us to say, Lord, I have mishandled Sabbath. And I have not received it and cherished it as the gift that you have given it to me to be. And so I invite you to today, my admonishment is to enjoy your Sabbath. May it be full of delight. And to that end, as our worship team comes forward, let's pray together.
Oh, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful correction we receive from your word. And Lord, where some of us, just in reflecting at the pace and schedule of our own life, have come under your conviction today, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us now how to step into the rest of this day in a new week with a fully different appreciation for Sabbath. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to take time for rest, for worship, for relationships, and for serving. Lord, thank you for this gift. We receive it today with joyful hearts. And in your name we pray for one another and for ourselves. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.